Luke chapter 10 is where we'll be. We'll look at verses 1 through 24 um, this morning. And I will say, um, before I start, 2017 was, again, a year where God showed his faithful to, to us as a church. Um, she saw in just the videos, we was walking up, the, the mission of our church is to mature and multiply believers, to leave a gospel legacy. And I will say that that is happening. Uh, if you've been coming for a little bit here, I'll tell you what's kind of happened in the last couple of years as a church. Uh, for us, 2016 was a year of sending. Uh, in the spring of 2016, we had about 20 or so people up on the stage, and we uh, sent out a church planner and his family and that team to Wilmington, North Carolina, to plant a gospel center church there. Then later on, we, uh, in, in, in that same year, 2016, in the fall, we sent out a, a missionary to East Asia and his family to plant a, a gospel center work there as well. And uh, we've been able to see uh, the gospel go out in these two places, and, and we want to see that sort of thing continue to happen at Integrity Church. And because here we believe that the, the health of a church is not really based on its uh, seating capacity, it's its sending capacity. And so uh, how many people we're sending out. And so over the years, over the next several years, our hope is that we would fill this stage up with qualified planters and their families with teams of people that are committed to plant the gospel in, in unreached areas. And so at the end of 2016, we've, we've seen that happen, sort of our uh, first time sending two church planters out of our church. We started to think, okay, how do we, how do, we do this better? Uh, how do we improve? How do we raise the quality? How do we, uh, how do, we do this for the, for the long haul? And so we begin to think, okay, we've got to think through strategically how to raise quality over quantity. Uh, we we, we want to value that uh, plumb line for our church. How do, we, how do we do that well? And so uh, the reason why that's so important, uh, we can grow and we can get lots of people here and we can um, just really talk about how you know, fast we're growing on Sunday mornings, and which we are, and I'll get into that in, in a little bit. But if it's not about the quantity or the quality, uh, we're, we're really wasting our time. I, I remember... Um, uh, when I was just planting this church and I was in a, 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 in a car ride with the older pastor in this area, and he began to say, man, I just envy you so much. Just, you know, you're a church planner. If I had to do, do it all over again, I would plant a church. And I would say, well, why, why do you do that? And he, why would you want to do that, right? And he said, well, church planters or church plants are just so healthy. You know, they always have these young people, and they're always just growing. And, 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 I, and I began to say, well, what makes them healthy? Because well, they're just growing. They're just, they have all the energy, you know. They have all that energy, and they're just growing. And I remember thinking to myself, so I asked him this question. I said, um, so... If I ate a diet of only energy bars and drank Red Bull for a year, would I be healthy or would I be annoying, right? And he says, you would be annoying. I'm like, exactly. And so just because something has energy, just because something is growing with numbers, it doesn't mean it's healthy. And so we want to see it as we grow uh, wide. We want to grow deep. And so as we begin 2017, we begin to talk about, okay, how do we grow deep in the gospel? How do we grow deep as, as, as our church? And so we uh, added uh, a new staff member, uh, Todd Hamill. He's one of, one of our elders. He's been an elder for about four years or so. We added him as a full-time staff member to help us grow deeper. 
Um, we brought him in to focus primarily on um, community, uh, which he oversees our small groups. He oversees our, our leadership development, our membership. We want to be able to sure up our membership, make it more clear. So we have things like starting point where you can come, free lunch, and be a part of uh, what we're doing and understand what it means to be a part of integrity. And so we did that. And then we added two more elders. We added Hal Holloman. We added Josh Harris to our elder board. So now we have five uh, elders, and it helps us really focus on the needs that are in the body and how to mature people in Christ and grow them in the gospel. And Todd was able to, uh, as a result of that, uh, he, he was able to lead a class this year of about 25, with about 25 people in it to focus primarily on evangelism and discipleship and training people in that. That's also freed me up. I was able to take five uh, young guys in our church through uh, pastoral ministry and preaching and theology. And so, um, man, we just had an, an awesome year of really training people and, and focusing in on helping us grow uh, not just wide, but deep. And so we've really focused this year in 2017 on the quality, the quality. But here's what's happened as an unusual result of that. We've grown. We've focused on quality and we've grown in quantity. Yes, we've seen more uh, Sunday morning attendance than ever. We've had our highest number on Sunday morning than we've ever had uh, this, this past fall. But that's not even what excites us the most. What excites us the most is that our small group attendance has skyrocketed. People aren't just coming on Sundays, but they're being invested in community. And even though we've seen the highest number on their Sunday mornings, we've seen that number, uh, we've seen still 50% of our Sunday morning attendance is still in small group, and that's something worth celebrating. And not only that, I feel like our people are engaging. Uh, we, we were able to launch Serve Greenville at the very end of last, uh, this year, I see last year, but you know what I mean, like 2017. Um, I'm already thinking about it in the past. Um, and so uh, we were able to uh, launch Serve Greenville, and small groups were able to jump in and just serve our community. And it was, it was awesome to see that. And uh, all of you guys jumped in and served different places in, in remarkable ways. And so, um, and then we've seen discipleship happen. We've seen really good conversations happen around the gospel. We've seen uh, more, bapti- more baptisms than we've seen in a, in a while here at Integrity. I don't know if you've noticed that, but there's been a, a reoccurring thing happening where people are being baptized. And we're not even saying it up front. People are just saying, hey, I want to be baptized. I became a believer. I want to I display that for the church. And so it's just been an incredible thing to see. And not only that, um, something else that we want to get excited about is we've seen lots of kids back there at Integrity Kids. Um, we see an average between 50 and 75 kids back there each week. And uh, this is, by the way, babies up to second grade. And a lot of the kids are in the service, um, which means there's a ton of opportunities to to serve and share the gospel with kids uh, each week. And so not only that, but there are those who faithfully serve, and uh, they serve the families that are here even in the service this morning, and they serve back there in Integrity Kids each week. I don't know if you know this, Integrity, we, we have a uh, serve one, attend one culture here, so we, we encourage people, because we have two services, to, to go to one service and serve at the other. And we've seen that increase as well. And uh, we just want to really thank those, specifically uh, all of you who do that, but specifically those in Integrity Kids, because they sit back there, the whole service for Integrity Kids, and then they come in at the other service, and they sit through worship. So they're here for two-plus hours of that uh, time, maybe three if I preach longer. So um, 
But they do that. And so we, we are just grateful for those who, who do that. And it's something that we celebrate again. And it just shows, again, evidences of maturity in our church. And so we encourage that God has blessed our efforts to focus on quality over quantity. 2016 was more of a multiplying year. 2017 was more of a maturing year. In 2018, our goal was we would, take, we would kind of marry both and do both exceptionally well. And so for us to do that, I think we have to get to the heart of what we see in Luke 10. And what we see in Luke 10 is the heart of a disciple of Christ. And this series, this series that we've called Marks of a Disciple, is, is going to really help us explore that over these next three weeks. And today we're just really going to look at the motive of a disciple or what, it really, what, what should really drive a disciple. And in the next two weeks then we'll look at um, the disciplines and the call of a disciple. So the heart of what we're going to see this morning in this text is the heart of what we as elders of Integrity Church hope to see in 2018 as we move forward to make disciples. So here's what's happening in Luke's gospel. In Luke 9, the disciples had seen Jesus uh, do some pretty remarkable things. Jesus had fed 5,000 plus people with a little kid's snack pack, and they're blown away that this miracle had happened. And then later on, they see the transfiguration. They see the glory of, of God shine through Jesus Christ. They see Moses and Elijah come back from heaven and show up, and they're, they're blown away that all these things are happening right before their eyes. And then God audibly tells the disciples that Jesus is the Christ. And so they began to believe. And so you, then you see all this motive, you see all this momentum happening. Okay, we're following the Son of God. This is the disciples. They're thinking, we're following the Son of God. This is the man who can, who can do all these miracles. This is the man that can raise people from the dead. And then right after the transfiguration, they go, they go out. And then, they, then Jesus, he heals this boy who's, who's sick. And then they see that happen and see all this momentum climbing and climbing and climbing. And then the disciples and Jesus, this is all in Luke 9, they go to this place called Samaria. And they go in and they preach and they're thinking, okay, we're going to see the same thing. We're going to see Jesus uh, feed a bunch of people. We're going to see Jesus heal a bunch of people. We're going to, we're going to preach, and then all of these people are going to want to follow Jesus. But no, what happens? They go into the city, and they are utterly rejected by the Samaritans. And they're going, okay, what, what, why did this happen, Jesus? Did, your, did the force not work in your life anymore? Like, right, where's the force, right? And then Jesus looks at his disciples, and he uses this moment to teach them what it means to truly follow him. And he makes this statement at the very end of Luke 9. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And then what he does in Luke 10 is he takes the statement in Luke 9 and he makes an immediate application. He, he puts it into an object lesson for, for the disciples and the crowds that were following him. And that's where we'll pick up in Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Hopefully you've heard that verse before. The harvests are plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Isn't that interesting? You, you, everyone hears 
the harvest is plentiful, but the labor is a few. But, but no one wants to read number three. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You're going to get eaten alive. That's what Jesus is saying. Then he says this. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever, uh, what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house, or do not go from house to house. Whatever uh, you enter a house and, and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and in it say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, if you, if you begin to look at what Jesus does in, in, in verses 13 through 15, Jesus is going to give warnings of those cities that would reject him. And so Jesus is already knowing, I'm sending these 72 people out, these 72 people that have been following Jesus from town to town and really marveling at all the miracles that Jesus has done. And, and these 72 people, he's, he's looking at them and he's saying, I'm sending you out in twos and I'm going to send you out as lambs in, in the midst of wolves because the laborers are few and you're going to go out and, and you're going to get rejected. You are, the, the, the probability of failure it's very, very high. That's what Jesus is telling these, these 72. But you've got to do it. And when people reject you, he says, anyone allows you or doesn't reject you, hey, go in and eat the food that they provide for you and bless them and thank them. But if, if they don't, hey, wipe the dust off your feet because I'm going to take care of it. But the, the, the probability of failure is high. That's what Jesus is telling him. I... I have grown up my whole life being a UNC basketball fan. And uh, I have wanted to go to a basketball game with my brother for the longest time. And we just couldn't make it work. My brother and I both UNC basketball fans. And Michael Jordan, we grew up, we watched you know, the shots in the 80s. We watched the, the games in the 90s together. We've watched so many games together, but we've never been in the Dean Dome together. And we finally went this year on December 20th. And you NC State fans know what happened on December 20th, correct? North Carolina plays a team called Wofford, which I have no idea where that even is, and they lost. And I remember thinking, Randy and I were already talking, and we brought some guys from the church, and it's Randy and I and two guys from our church, and we get there, and we're like, oh, we're watching those guys warm up and watching the Tar Heels warm up. The Tar Heels guys are all athletic and they're taller and these guys are not as athletic and they're, they're missing dunks and they're, they're not making their shots in the warm up like the Tar Heels are. And we're thinking, okay, this, we'll probably leave, you know, with five minutes left because the score is going to be, you know, 
uh, you know, they'll be ahead by 60, and we're thinking, and then we get up there where we're sitting, and then all these Wofford fans sit around us, and we're like, oh, that's so cute. They're just here to support their team. And, you know, we're already, like, thinking, oh, that's so great. You know, they're going to be so devastated when they leave, and like, already the pride in me. And then we actually move closer to the front because there was not many people there. It's just that kind of before Christmas game, if you follow basketball, you know, like, there's always that team that is going to supposed to lose. And then we watch it, and they're like, okay, they're not doing so well, Right? And it gets into the halftime, and it's like tied at the half, okay. And then it, we play the second half, and like, okay, they're just not going to come back. And then like two minutes left, they're going to lose this stinking game. And then I remember watching them, like we, we moved down front pretty close. So we watched um, the Tar Heels after they leave, and they're just devastated. Like I, I watched Coach Roy Williams. He won't even look up. He was just so devastated. And then I watched the Wofford players after they win, and they're just jumping up and down. And you can hear them cheering going back to the locker room over all the fans. You can hear them cheering. And I even hear later that when they got into the locker room, they take the Gatorade and they dump it on their coach. Because it's like their Super Bowl, right? We won. We beat Carolina at home. And it's odd because this is like high probability of failure. And they go in and they win the game and they come out and they're celebrating because they're so, think they cannot believe what just happened. And guess what? The same thing happens in this text. Jesus tells these 72, you're going to go out and you're probably going to lose. But they don't lose. They win. And, this, and then we don't know what happened. But the 72 go out and apparently it's like revival breaks out in all these places. That Jesus was warning these places, don't reject me. If you do, there will be hell to pay. That's what it is going to say. And they go in and they share the gospel and the good news of the kingdom of God. And we don't see what happens, but we see the response when the 72 come back to Jesus. And I want you to see what they say, and then I want you to see how Jesus responds to them. Verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, Jesus said this to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. In this good confidence, I've given you all the power that God has given me, the authority that God has given me, I've given to you, and nothing's going to hurt you. You've got the same power that I have to, to, to raise people from the dead and to heal the sick, and scorpions bite you, serpents bite you. You're not going to die. Nothing's going to harm you. You're going to continue to see this happen if you follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. But then he says this dagger of a statement, verse 20. Nevertheless, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in what? Heaven. Now again, imagine the scene. 72 ordinary people, poor people, Broken people who were following Jesus. They weren't even considered a part of the 12 disciples. 
They go into these towns with this high probability of failure. They carry nothing with them. And what happens? They get an explosive response. But what does Jesus do? He quickly bursts their bubble and he says, don't rejoice here. Where does he want them to rejoice? I want you to rejoice that your name is written in heaven. The, the, the actual translation is better translated, that your names are registered in heaven. Jesus is saying, I want you to rejoice that with me forever and eternity there is a place for you, that your salvation is secure. And what he's saying there is going to set up what he says next in verse 21. In that same hour, it's important that you see the same hour. It's key because sometimes a year and a half can go by between verses. But he's letting you know, okay, this is happening. The same sequence of events. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All... Things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 23. Then turning to his disciples, to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Notice what he says. He says, God, I am thankful. When Jesus is thanking the Father, what is he thanking for? That you've revealed these truths to little children. Are there children in this text anywhere? Do you see anywhere where he's talking about little children? No. Who is he talking about? The 72. These 72 people, I'm going to call them my little children. Thank you, Father, for calling them to me and opening their eyes to the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is referring to. And then when he looks at his disciples, he says to them privately, he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see them and hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so the message that we're going to see over and over and over again in, in, in this one chapter is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, the heart of a disciple. He's saying, rejoice in your salvation and realize that Jesus does all the work. Rejoice in your salvation and realize that Jesus does all the work. Look look, look back at verse 8 and 9. What does he say? Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, you eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and in it, and say to them, what do you say to them when you heal the sick? The kingdom of God has come near to you. So in other words, Jesus is saying, yes, if your body is healed, if your sickness is gone, guess what? Don't put any hope in that. You need to know that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, your body will be gone But eternity is what matters. That's what Jesus is always putting them back to, the eternal perspective and salvation. That's every single thing. He says, even if you heal the sick, point them to salvation. That's what really matters. 
Your body's going to be gone. What difference does it make? Then in verse 20, the same idea. Do not rejoice in this. Yes, you saw Satan fall and you saw demons submit, but do not rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If you put hope in anything else, you'll you'll be discontent. Rejoice in the fact that your father has adopted you. Same idea, verse 23 through 24. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and hear uh, what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is telling his disciples, you want success? You want respect? You want fame? You want fortune? There are many who had these things, but they did not have what you had because they did not see God. They did not know the gospel. And that's the most beautiful gift that God could give any of us. So why did Jesus do all these things? Why did Jesus want the disciples to have this object lesson of sending out 72 people and having this explosive response and then coming back and bursting their bubble? Why did he want to teach them this? Why not let the 72 just bask in their victory? Here's why. Because that victory is not their identity. Jesus did not want them to base their lives on that victory. And guess what? Those victories aren't our identity either, Integrity Church. Because here's the thing. We're the 72. We are the ones that he says, I've revealed this truth to my little children. If you've come here this morning, it's because, and you're a believer in Christ, it's because God, in his love for you, has opened your eyes to the gospel. You didn't earn favor with God. He gave it to you by grace, through faith. You believed, and it's a gift that God has given you. And many live before you that tried to know this hope on their own efforts and their own knowledge and their own understanding, their own philosophical approach to it. But no, God, through his love for you, shows you before the foundation of the world. And he opened your eyes to hear this gospel message and believe it. And not only that, but as he saves you, he continues to work through you in the same way that he did the 72. The 72 were just ordinary people that God says, I've given you authority to go and share this truth. And so what we learn in this is it's really all about Christ. It's really all about Jesus. Sharing the gospel isn't even about the privilege that we have to go out and share the gospel with those that we, where we live, work, and play. It's really not about how well we do. It's just about us obe- being obedient to our Father. And it's about this privilege that we have to go out and share. And knowing that if anyone comes to Christ through us sharing, it's all because of the work that Christ has done in our lives and the person that he opened their eyes to the gospel. So what does this have to do with the heart of being a disciple? The first thing I think it does is it removes any glimpse of entitlement in our lives. If we really see 
the work of salvation in this way. We really see that God is this big and in this sovereign over our salvation and over the work that he does in our lives. It removes any entitlement in our lives because it says, what do you have to boast in? Nothing. It's all about Jesus. If he's saved you and opened your eyes to the gospel, what more could you ask for? Because you've been blessed with these incredible riches that really make no sense. And so here's the thing, integrity. We had a a great year in 2017, and we're going to pray for God's favor in 2018. And we may see victories. We may grow as a church. We may continue to mature and multiply. By God's grace, our hope is that we, we send out more planters and people in unreached areas throughout the world. But if we do or if we don't, that should not be our identity. Our identity lies in our names being written in the book of life. Our names registered in heaven and our salvation being secure. And when we rest there, then we're not uh, overly zealous when we have victories and we're not utterly dismayed when we have failures. But we're encouraged to know God is with us and if God is with us, who can be against us? So would that be our hope? Would that be our heart, Integrity Church, as we move forward in this year, as we think through the marks of what it means to be a true disciple of him? God help us. Let us pray.